Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Thank you for appearing today, Shauna. We we really appreciate your reaching out to us after the NBC4 broadcast aired uh, late in February last month this year. Uh, what was your response to that? What did you think about that? Do you think those questions or the presentations were, were fair? What did you think about it? Well, again, thank you for um, for responding. Uh, I'm glad to be here and be able to you know, give my two cents for whatever it's worth. Um, so <laughs> nothing that they said that those that were interviewed, um, the, uh, survivors, I guess we'll call them, mm-hmm. uh, nothing that they said was wrong. I mean, those, those things do happen. Okay. Um, I understand to a degree, the church's response in, you know, uh, and for example, more specifically, um, the the conversation that you had had with the two elders, um, where you know they're asking for specific instances in order to be able to address things, mm-hmm. but that that brushes it under the rug, so to speak, um, right. and. You know, it it just perpetuates, you know, the the narrative, right? Um, right. It, inval- it invalidates the people who are speaking about their experience Absolutely. because the church professes in many of their classes, and especially uh, in different summer institutes that I have attended. That, um, experience, like you cannot refute experiential evidence, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, you're that right. Is, that is a key thing in arguing or debating theology. Right. You cannot refute experiential evidence. Mm-hmm. And the problem being that this is these individuals experiential evidence you can't refute that right exactly so um so my the hypocrisy that is so prevalent is is disturbing yeah and it is um yeah and i and i really just you know i really would just like for some accountability Right. Even if it's a broad sweep of accountability, you know, just just be responsible for your impact. Right. Exactly. And see, one one of the reasons we, you know, we we weren't first of all, we we weren't going to get into specifics, identifying people, because quite frankly, they have enough to work with. They've been hearing about this for years. 
They Absolutely. know there's all kinds of people who come to them with the exact same of uh, exact same problems. And, uh, and, and since the people themselves gave no such permission, and we actually promised them anonymity, simply because of the fact that that's that's where some of them agreed to to, to mm-hmm. share by, uh, we weren't going to violate that. And secondly, uh, a lot of what they said to us was 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 uh, again just uh, something that uh, doesn't need to be rehearsed, doesn't need to be dragged about all over again. Uh, and, uh, as, as a pastoral counselor, and, and I, I considered some of what they were doing with me, or with us, uh, with, 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 uh, with Megan and I, uh, what, I considered what I was doing with them as pastoral counselor. And, and to me, that, that says to me that when you, when you start sharing burdens such as that, and unless you want to be public, uh, you should be your core of the right to not be. You should be right to be, to be, to, you have the right to be anonymous. And we had every intention of, um, of respecting that and, and following by that. And, um, and as a pastoral counselor, okay, I'm not a therapist, but I've never claimed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a pastoral counselor, uh, my, my, my dedication to that principle of confidentiality, confidential clergy privilege is something that I, I intend to, I, I've never failed to, uh, to uh to rest up to to not rest on because that's what mm-hmm. it is. If someone is sharing with me their heart, their mind, and soul in in the context of confidentiality, just to receive pastoral care, and they want to uh they want to you know you know keep quiet about that, be anonymous. I have absolutely no problem with that, and so therefore that's how I receive it, and that's why I've said nothing. And at this point, it's it's kind of irrelevant because of the sheer weight of 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 um. Testimony we've gotten, uh, and we're, which we're about to get from you as well, uh, just says so much. They, they, they want, they want simply to be able to name a name and run down a, a file, or if they have one, which they probably do, <laughs> and figure out who right. did what. And then in a very mechanical way, just kind of figure out, uh, why, how we could possibly have misunderstood them. And I, I don't buy that. I, I, that's, that's just a, a, a bit of obfuscation. Uh, 25 cent word just meaning, uh, hemming and hawing or delaying. I'm, I'm, we're, I'm like I said, we don't play that. We're, we're here to, we, we went there to ask them specific questions. They didn't want to answer them. So, um, so we'll just continue and letting people mm-hmm. tell their own stories, which is why uh, we're here today. So, so, um, what years were you in? And, and if you want to share, can you give us any personal history, uh, that, that might uh, give us a little context to your story? Sure, sure. So, um, I'm 42 years old. Uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had some childhood trauma that happened and which, it, drew me away from church at all I was pretty mad at God uh in my college years um I moved from small town Ohio to Columbus Ohio and that was in 2002 um and so I had friends um I had friends that attended this church and you know they knew my story and whatnot of course and they kept inviting me to come to their church and I kept saying no no Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to have to tell them I didn't want to have to tell my friends that their church sucked you know (laughs) (laughs) that was just my my frame of mind why did you why did you why did you say why would you believe that though that's curious that you'd say that why why would you want to tell them that 
I believed that all churches sucked. So it wasn't anything, okay. you know, okay. specific. It was just more so that I didn't want to have to hurt my friend's feelings. Okay, gotcha. Um, right. So it was easier to just say no than to go and, you know, be hypercritical and whatnot. I, I wasn't really in a receptive space anyway um, at that time. So, you know, time goes on a little bit and maybe a few months and I don't know, maybe I don't know exactly what led me to decide that if I was going to check it out, I would go by myself. I wouldn't tell them that I was going. Um, and, and, you know, see, see what was going on. Right. And then if it did suck, I didn't have to tell them. And if it was awesome, then they would be happy, you know, somewhere on that spectrum. Right. Uh, so sure. I went, That's um, I went and, um, Gary Delashment was teaching. Okay. Uh, he was actually teaching a series on Revelation. Revelations okay. at that time. I, I can't remember. I think it might have been the third chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's sticking in my brain for some reason. Anyway, um, and what he was talking about, it, it you know, this is a very large room. Right, it seats a, a couple hundred people, and um, and I was kind of blown away by the atmosphere. Like people were eating and drinking, and very casual. And you know, growing up in the Catholic Church, like that's the antithesis of it, right? Right. And definitely not um, high church stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There was no Sunday best. Right, right. Um, and, and the fact that they were eating during the t- <laughs> that was that was mind boggling to me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what he was saying, man, it really just felt like it was a divinely appointed time for me to be there. Like I didn't think of it that way then. I just was like, uh huh. This this guy is like speaking to me. It's like somebody gave him some cliff notes on what was going on in my thought life, whatever. And um I don't generally approach strangers. Like that's not really my MO. And especially at a at a church surrounded by hundreds of people that I have no clue who they, I mean, yeah. But I went up and I talked to him. I asked him some follow-up, a follow-up question, maybe two follow-up questions. And he had, he invited me out to their home church. And um, at that time, uh, he was, he and his wife, Bev, were um, leading in the college ministry. Okay. Right, uh, with, right. with Buck, with Buck McCallum. Okay. And. So you, so you started to yeah. go with them at that point, And then, uh, and then I think you mentioned that Beverly at that point kind of drew you into what seemed like a really, you know, solid, safe connection of care and counsel and that, that she was apparently doing this as an elder's wife trying to help you and other young women there. Uh, would you agree with that as a characterization? 
Yeah, yeah. In in a leadership position, um, you know, being leading like the female um, female group, whatnot, uh, being a mentor, being a discipler to to the ladies in that group, like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and you know, I. In my life, like my parent at that time, I'm 22, 23 years old, and both of my parents are deceased at okay. that time. And um, I am just like really shredded inside. Like right. I was, I was angry. At, like you know, sure. I you know I was a traumatized kid still absolutely and right. right um and you know in retrospect like she really zoned in on that she really targeted that and we we were meeting and she created the space um or i guess maybe gave me the illusion that um and obviously I'm speaking, you know, in hindsight, but gave me the illusion that, you know, she was like a second mom to me. Okay. And, um, you know, she was mentoring me. She was guiding me. And, um, and loving me like Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and this generally what she, this is the same, attitude she approached uh the other uh, young ladies there as well right oh sure sure okay uh there were two two adult female leaders um at that time bev and uh another woman carol and gary and mark were the were their counterparts their husbands okay and um Mark and Carol had came up from Cincinnati. They had led a group in Cincinnati, part of the church, and they had uh, came up and was helping lead uh, this college home church uh, that in in about a year's time transitioned out of the college group into the adult group. and, you know, kind of like we were young professionals. Uh, right. Most of the people had graduated college already and, um, you know, were entering the drudgery of the workforce. Right. <laughs> okay. I understand that. Yeah. So, so there was a moment though in which, I mean, obviously I think she was a very uh, influential person on you. It seemed like she was really, um, Someday you really allowed a big place in your in in your life to. Oh, for uh, but, sure. But but there was a moment I think you you remember sharing with me that in which she, her her counsel, as she liked to call it, was really became actually a very biting criticism that really that really bothered you. Can you share a little more on that? How that impacted you? Yeah, um, you know that was that I had I had left for a little while to help my sister and when I had came back um you know I had 
I was really, really low on funds and whatnot. And I had taken a job that was the first job that was offered to me coming back into town. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a less than desirable job. Um, okay. Sure. But, you know, w- when you're trying to have a roof over your head and feed yourself and whatnot, you know, you, you do what you need to do, right? Right. Um, sure. Now, um, you know, I mean, it was a regular, you know, W-2 job. It was, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't picking up dollars off the floor or anything like that, but, um, and, and not to disparage anyone that does, you know, you handle your business. Um, but you know, the, the fact that, you know, I, I came back to the home church and, you know, we were catching up on things and, and I'll never forget this conversation. We were on the front porch on the swing at their house and, uh, because the home church always met at their house, um, that, you know, she had told me after me confiding in her about, you know, this job that I had taken and whatnot, that she told me that she felt sorry for me that I thought that was the only thing I could do. And that was so incredibly insulting to my intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and like, I should just, I don't know, what should I do? Should I, should I panhandle? Like, what am I supposed to do to support myself? Right. You know, you're not going to encourage somebody to have a, a tax paying job. Like, I don't understand. Um, but it was, it was more of a personal slight, you know, and, um, poorly worded, poorly worded. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the, again, you know, to kind of circle back to what I was saying initially, like you should apologize for your impact. You know, it doesn't matter. You could have the best of intentions and, say something and it just comes off completely bad you know like just just be accountable for your impact mm-hmm. intent versus impact is everything right so that really had an impact on you I think you mentioned you ended up leaving Xenos for a while after that I did so. I did I left and, and didn't go back for a year okay um, Why did you go back? I mean, after all that, that seemed like a big red flag. So what, what was it about that drew you back? I, I think that the real draw was the community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It was, it seemed to me in my life that that was the only place that I was going to find healing. Right. And, um, and I, I did to a very large degree. I mean, there are, there, there is no doubt about it that there are amazing and very good things that came out of that time. Sure. There's also long lasting effects and, and hurt, um, 
that came out of that time too. Yeah. Is it long yeah, lasting? So long lasting effects, you said, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, and by this time, you know, like I said, you're you're not some like 18 year old kid just coming out of high school. You know, uh, you're a young woman. Okay, you you've had a, mm -hmm. you've been around a little bit. You know, and so uh, you weren't exactly a student any longer. So. Um, from what I understand, you and another Xenos friend ended up in what's known as an adult ministry house. Now, that's that's not a college house, a college ministry house. So, could, well, can you tell us, in your words, what is a ministry house, and why is an adult version different from a college one? So, a ministry house is a group of people uh, that live together. And they are living together with a purpose of serving one another, serving the church, uh, their home church and the church at large, uh, and serving the community, right. the community around them. Um, there is a... They're like-minded individuals. They generally, they are in the same home church. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the, that's the norm when it comes to college ministry houses. They're in the same, they're, they're generally, well, I mean, I can't say unequivocally, but generally speaking, they're in the same, they're in the same home church. Um, and, so in, in that aspect, like you're thinking about um, the, the college ministry houses, you know, there's these 18 to 20, early 20s something kids living together um, that, you know, they are building one another up there. They likely have study time with each other in, in different ways. Um, they're likely having conflicts that are causing them to grow and stretch as a, as a person, okay. um, right. individually and collectively. Um, there's planned events where they, um, they are ministering, uh, to the high school groups that they're involved in. Okay. Um, cause you know, they're, they're, probably hosting, uh, events, whatnot. Um, but with that being said, they're also not mandatory. Okay. It's a, it's a group of people that get together and in one form or fashion decide that they're going to live together, share the cost and share the burdens Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, be iron sharpening iron. Right. And, um, the, the ministry houses, the, it is true that the ministry houses are not owned directly by the church, by the right. fellowship. Right. They, they are not church property. However, with that being said, a lot of the ministry houses that come into existence or are in existence are owned by church members. Right. Uh, right. Not all, but, but the majority. Mm -hmm. um, and so like the, the ministry houses that, that I lived in, 
uh, were not owned by Xenos or Dwell members. Right. Um, but anyway, so what's different about a college ministry house to an adult ministry house? Well, well, hold on, let me backtrack. So there is an agreement that is signed by those who are living in the house. Now, mm-hmm. you may think that a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home would have no more than four occupants, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the complaints that I that I've heard are how many people live in the ministry house, right? Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is the allure of how little it costs as a college student to live in the ministry house, mm-hmm. right? So there's a benefit to that sure. while um you're to a degree you're being asked to step out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. anyway right? right so there are certain sacrifices that you that you make individually to to voluntarily live in a ministry house right. now it's very difficult to judge someone's motives. You know, no one knows the heart of man, right? Not even the man. <laughs> so, right. um, are, are there ulterior motives that go into that? Sure. I'm sure that there are, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And what's, and what's so striking is that the people that are recruited for these are young men and women who have been basically indoctrinated through their Xenos pre-recruitment and, and, and time to be absolutely submissive to those over them, to, to those, to, to those leaders that they're, they're actually called upon to, to obey implicitly. You know, it seems that they orchestrate this very seamless influence upon college and adult age men and women that compels them to follow the leader into these situations. And, uh, and you're yeah. right. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot that goes on there. I mean, we don't, we don't know it all, but certainly we've heard enough where I think some of, some of these, uh, motivations mm-hmm. certainly can be, can be questioned. Uh, for example, um, there was a women's retreat that you mentioned that became a very classic example of this of how, uh, that just seemed to be, uh, like, uh, as if, uh, the agenda of keeping a ministry house occupied Seem to be more important uh, than what your own personal choices were. Can you? Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? You mentioned sure, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, there were a couple ladies that were moving up from the college group into our adult group, and uh, consequently, you know, they were moving out of their college ministry houses. They needed somewhere to live, and um, I had had interpersonal conflict with one. Um, in particular, and it, it was a very trying, trying relationship. Um, there were mental health issues that I had a very difficult time dealing with. I don't work well in chaos, uh, simply because of how my childhood was. 
Um, my, my dad was a, a violent drunk. So my house, my home is my safe zone. It needs to be quiet. It needs to be peaceful. It needs to be a, a place of respite for me right. or sure. else, or else I'm in a constant downward spiral. I'm making poor choices all over the place. Uh, like I, it's like I self implode. Um, and so anyway, uh, the, the struggle with this mental health issue, like, oh my goodness, I, I just didn't want anything to do with this person. And, but the problem was is that she was in my home church. And, um, so it really, there were, there were four of us who were looking for, um, living situation, you know, figuring out a living situation. Yeah. And my best friend and I were talking about moving in together. Um, and Bev knew about that and she, she really seemed to orchestrate this idea of the four of us living together okay. and having a women's adult ministry house. Because at the time we had a, a, a men's adult men's ministry house had kind of developed with several of the guys that were in our home church and they were, doing great um they had their issues but i mean for the most part it was it was great and um (laughs) i was not 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 a fan uh of this idea and because i was the i was the older one of the group and i had an issue you know i just i did not want to deal with it anyway it was like i was bombarded you know it was one person after another, you know, coming at me to encourage me, <laughs> encourage me to agree to this situation. Okay. And this was during the women's um, retreat, right? Yes. During, during our women's cell group retreat. Um, Oh my God, I can picture it. So it was less, it had less to do with spirituality than just really compelling you to really, you know, line up with a, with a, with a group uh, mandate. Well, you know, the words were spun to, you know, encourage me and to come alongside my sister and to be a servant and, you know, yeah, the, the, you know, all the key words, right? Yeah. We're, we're hitting right. the benchmarks, uh, of what you need to say to get somebody to yeah. get guilted into doing something. Right. Because exactly. you have to, you know, it's this like idea of flogging yourself before, you know, God yeah. to, to atone for your sins or something. Right. Um, and, so- yeah. Sorry, so, so, go ahead. I was just gonna ask you. So it seemed more like there was peer pressure involved. And it was, I mean, there wasn't. Oh. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. It had nothing really. There was nothing spiritually uplifting about it. It was just more you're under a microscope and, and being and being forced to comply. 
I mean, it's just a matter of how you want to spin it and say it. Yeah, yeah. You know, impact so, versus intent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, we were previously sharing, and I think it was quite fascinating as we did that, about how the leadership and the governance of Xenos seems to cultivate and perpetuate some very clear and distinct cultures. And these, oh, yeah. uh, you, you were telling me they, they kind of polarized around the different influence of the founding elders of Gary DeLashman and Dennis McCollum. And, and you actually share with how there's actually two entirely different subcultures within, within the Xenos membership and that, and that there's so much curiosity about each other between the, I find that really okay. extraordinarily revealing about Xena, how Xena spiritually forms people. Uh, can you, can you comment a little more about that? Yeah. So there's definitely the, you know, there's definitely Team Gary and Team Dennis. Uh, we, we can, I guess, refer to it like that. Um, Team you know, Gary and Team Dennis. Wow. Yeah. It, it's very, uh, having been a member, and I'm sure anybody who listens to this that has been a member can attest to this. Um, it is very easy to spot who has been trained, taught, mentored, discipled under Gary and under Dennis. Uh-huh. Um, there's specific styles, cadence, tone, inflection, gesticulation. It, there, it is, I, I mean, there, there's, there's like a, I hate to say it, there's like a cult following to a degree, uh. you know, when there's like curiosity. I, I, I have never, never in the entire time that I was there. So from 2002 to 2017, uh, in the entire time that I was there, uh, ever heard anybody ask what it's like to be in home church with Dennis. But on the regular, people would ask, you know, like it, like when they would learn what home church I was in when I was in, in ministry classes and leadership classes, you know, oh, you're in Gary's home church? Oh, what's it like being in Gary's home church? And <laughs> my response was like, well, I imagine it's like being in your home church. And, you know, they didn't seem too thrilled with that answer. And then I visited a couple other home churches. And then I understood why, because it wasn't. It was very different. I don't. I don't know if it. it I. I don't know exactly how to describe how different it was. Um. But people have a reverence for Gary. You know, he is a very good teacher. He is. Uh-huh. He's a very good presenter. And he's able to, he's able to explain things to people on their level. And, uh, that, that's talented. Um, but, and, and, but Dennis has a very lofty way uh, uh, of speaking. And he is, um, well, he just doesn't have a filter, and he his social skills are lacking. Okay. Right. Um. He 
he knows what he's saying. Um, but a, uh, he's very radical. He's very radical. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there are there definitely are different teams, and and, and it's easy to identify ha- people who have <laughs> who have been uh, mentored by right. by either one. Right. How, however, you want to term that, disciples, right. mentored, you know, fan club, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, I remember when I was in the college group. Uh, actually, one of the well one of the lead pastors now uh, had made a soundboard with Dennisisms, uh, just like excerpts taken from recordings, right? The, of teachings, like how he inflects his voice and oh, really? uh, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty hysterical um, because it is, you know, it, it is, it, it is him. Um, so, so, so there really was. I mean, whether it was conscious or not, there really was a, a clear um, impact upon the lives of individual people, regardless whether they study under one person or another. That really, oh, for sure, made, made them seem to be like really truly disciples of them. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess, yes. as as they say, as I used to say a long time ago, um, you know, you, you get the dust of the rabbi on you, and then you, you end up and you end up looking like them. And so, th- therefore, they're modeling. Well, that's is, funny is, you say that. Yeah, that's funny you say that because um, my uh, one of my friends um (laughs) well who knows if we'll be friends after this but (laughs) one of my friends um studies uh with gary and i i would tell him all the time i'm like you're little gary Mm -hmm. like you're you're even starting to look like him Mm. and (laughs) um yeah, and that and, and it wasn't a slight. It's not a slight at all to be yeah. able to be a, a good teacher, and you know, uh, so on and so forth. So it wasn't a slight. I have I have really um I have maybe only two or three things that I didn't like how Gary did something how he approached it, how he, uh, a solution to it, you know, something like that. And it wasn't real detrimental. I I don't think that it was all, I don't think that it was terrible. I just didn't agree with it. Um, so I, I mean, I don't really have a, I don't really have a lot of complaints about, about Gary. Um, my, my chief complaint would be, you know, how, how when I chose to, to leave, how he didn't personally step in. Right. Yeah. But, and that's what it sounded like, you know, as, as we were previously talking about that you had a, you had problems when you're into one living arrangement and that, the, that they became really, really tight. Uh, and, and you were attending a house church at that time. Uh, can you summarize what happened and what, why it led you to want to get out of the lease there with all these people? 
Yeah. So, you know, I touched on the fact that, um, that there were mental health issues and there continued to be mental health issues, whether they had, um, treatment for it or not. You know, it, it just doesn't like go away. Um, I myself, um, well, <laughs> When, when I lived in Ohio, I struggled with seasonal depression a lot. So the mm-hmm. winter months were much worse for me. Um, right. all four of us in that house had depression of some, some sort, but, uh, two of the, of the ladies had some serious mental illness, uh, stuff going on and to where, you know, there was, um, consistent conflict that was just exhausting yeah it was it was utterly exhausting and did i don't think that um our home church was equipped to help support us as a as a ministry house with that that emotional and spiritual and exhaustion um you know typically in home churches so in i mean not home churches but in ministry houses there are ministry house leaders right there are people there's a person or a couple people that are selected by the group to lead the ministry house. So if you have conflict, you go to that person. If you have, you know, if there are issues, you know, you go to that person. Well, they did not, our home church leaders, uh, did not feel that we, any four, any one of us four were capable of being a ministry house leader. Um, so Bev, the last was our ministry house leader mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it just didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. There was no solving the conflict right. ever. Right. And, um, it was just exhausting. It, it was so bone weary. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it came around to like January of, I think it was 2016. Yeah. Uh January of 2016. And I'm like, you know, I'm too old for this crap. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. I didn't want to do it in the first place. And I suffered through two years of it. Uh, you know, I'm done. And so I sat the girls down um, at a dinner and told them that I didn't want to, I would not be renewing the lease. My my part, I would not be re-signing a lease in May. So they had plenty of notice. Um, but that was, you know, the beginning of the end of my tour de Zenos. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because 
you know, they, they wanted, they wanted to know why. And my, my close friends in the home church disagreed with me. They thought that I was doing the wrong thing. And, you know, they tried to get me to take it back. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. And, uh, you know, so then I had a couple of, you know, the, the girls moved out. I stayed in the house. Um, but the other three girls moved out. Uh, women, I should say. They were all adults. Um, and, um, I had a couple other roommates, you know, kind of come in and out and, you know, whatnot. And then I ended up moving to another side of town because, um, my friend had, my, uh, my friend from back home, we, we had decided to move in together and, it, you know, it worked. Um, but the problem is, is that when you live outside of a mile, a mile to two mile radius of your home church, because pretty much everybody lived within that two mile radius. Right. And they didn't want to travel outside that two miles. Okay. And so, you know, it was kind of a struggle to have people come visit. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't want to drive more than two miles, God forbid. Um, And, you know, you just kind of get, you know, pushed out. And um, during that time, like after the girls had moved out, they they moved uh, two of I can't remember if it was two of them or not. No. Yes. Two of them moved into another adult women's ministry house with another girl from uh, another woman from our home church. Her parents had bought a house and it was huge on campus. Um, and like six or mm, between six and nine of them lived in that house together. I can't remember how many there were actually, but it was, it was, uh, several different home. The ladies that lived together there were in like three or maybe four different home churches. They weren't all in the same home church. So was it, um, was it during that time that, you know, I, I understand you were starting to turn towards studying and getting counsel with somebody else. Was it during that time that you actually found someone to do that with? Well, yes, I had, I was, um, doing, uh, classes that, you know, I had to take a test to move into different classes and, um, I started studying with one of the other ladies in our uh, home church rather than meeting with Bev. And uh-huh. cause I had met with Bev as a, as a discipler for years, uh-huh. years. And so I started meeting with this other lady and she's very theologically sound. You know, she, she's very academic. So, um, 
you know, I was just playing to her strengths. Like I really needed to buckle down and get this material, you know, sunk in my brain. Right. And, um, you know, be able to successfully pass this test and then move on to, uh, other leadership stuff. Now, now what are and, these, excuse me, uh, Sean, I didn't mean that, but, but what are these classes? I mean, there's just such a huge weight put on taking some sort of advanced training of some sort within, within ministry houses, within Xenos itself. Now, can you explain what that is and why, why that's so important and, and why it was so important for you to do as well? Sure. So, um, first of all, you know, they are sound theological classes, right? They help you, um, learn, you know, it's progressive, right? Um, uh, it's progressive knowledge. And, you know, like there's intro, their class names are probably different now, but there's intro to the Bible. So you learn the different, um, parts of the Bible, you know, the, the Pentateuch and, and, uh, you know, the New Testament and, you know, the, the Psalms and Proverbs and, you know, like what the different areas of the Bible are and, and, and the time periods and whatnot. And, And, you know, it's, it's a basic overview, essentially. It's, Introduction to the Bible is pretty explanatory. Why was that, Um, why was that important for you to have to take though? I mean, why does anyone have to take those? Well, you're not required to take them. Okay. Right. You are encouraged to take them. And I would not say that that's a bad thing. Uh huh. Um, it, you know, where the where the church lacks in their ability to maintain relationships or to build sustainable relationships um, and yeah where they lack in that they are very theologically sound mm-hmm. um they encourage you to learn the Bible, to know what the Bible says, so that it helps cultivate a personal relationship with Christ. Um, when you're studying with another person, it helps, you know, cultivate, you know, a, mm-hmm. a spiritual relationship with them. Um, you know, certain people are encouraged because they see leadership potential in them. I see. Okay. And, you know, when you have a college group that is growing exponentially because it's quantity over quality, you have to have at some point, you know, they're going to age out at some point, right? So you have to have leaders in the adult spheres to be able to lead and plant home churches to be able to sustain that growth. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, the college ministry kids, people, um, uh, sorry, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. They're just younger than me. Right. Um, sure. They, that grows very rapidly. And, right. 
that college ministry, you know what, I'm saying it's quantity over quality. Um, And again, I don't mean that in an offensive way either. Like I'm not making a personal flight towards anyone. But the fact of the matter is that they're bringing so many people in to the college group that they have to raise up leaders quickly. And these leaders don't have the wherewithal the skill set, the experience to be able to lead these people. Right. I, I was just going to say, you know, there, there's a, uh, there are people who are just natural born leaders and that's great. But when you are leading someone spiritually, you really should know your stuff. You should, right. you should have, uh, a few years under your belt yeah before you're you're leading people like that right and and part of that problem also is that yes there are people who oversee these home churches oversee these you know groups and whatnot but at the same time how, what what else do they have going on in their life so what Zenus is basically doing is like i said they're they're Putting everybody into these very, very intimate relationships with, 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 you know, just the bare, bare thought of even reflecting on whether or not anybody together, anybody one anothering is actually compatible, where there's actually, there, there's, there seems to be very little, uh, uh, actually done to actually ensure that that conflict is minimized and handled properly and that people are basically used to uh, address one another in such a way where that that people can be uh you know voted on or voted off uh in a living situation and 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 that the leaders basically can uh can appoint who they believe uh can be raised up to that so it sounds like a very high pressure uh, machine trying to stamp out all these all these people uh regardless uh of of their qualifications or not so uh and then you're having a deal and when when people are de- dealing with their own stuff with their own struggles uh and their own preferences <laughs> uh that all becomes like like a, a major um, um, just a major arena of conflict and uh it and from what we were talking about, it sounded like about about that time as you're just really trying to put yourself into these classes that you really began to struggle with Xenos and that it, it just wasn't doing it for you, and because uh, it seemed to be coming to a head. So what 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 happened? What was or what was happening that finally led you to start reconsidering your involvement and 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 considering uh, exiting? Well, so, you know, I have briefly mentioned, you know, my, my dad was not a, a shining example of a parent, right? Of a father. And so throughout my spirit, you know, my spiritual journey, my faith, my, my, um, walk, so to speak, um, I have, regularly struggled with viewing God as a loving father. Right. And, um, and I've also struggled with prayer, um, because it it just, mm. 
I think about the, you know, it's so silly, but the, the movie Bruce Almighty, where Jim Carrey is playing God and he's getting in all these emails of these prayer requests, right? And it's so overwhelming and he just, you know, kind of puts it on autopilot. You know, like it, it, there's this lack of a tangible, personal interaction, I guess, that I, that I have with, with praying, you know, with attaining, you know, having access to God and that God, like, I know God loves me, but I don't know, no, God loves me. Like, I, like, it's so weird. I'm sure that plenty of people can relate to that, but it's, man, it's so hard to describe. Um, anyway, so I was, again, it wasn't my first rodeo was struggling with this. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. um you know i had i had taken it to bev and like you know i'm having a hard time like i even asked gary for book suggestions you know like what do you suggest you know he told me a couple things probably you know i don't remember exactly what he told me he did give me a, a suggestion well the other woman that i was studying with right for the tests and stuff right Right. When I, I was meeting with her, and I had discussed this with her as well, she told me I was having a crisis of faith. I met with Bev about that, and Bev told me essentially, you know, I'm paraphrasing because it's been so long, but but the gist of it, what I got out of it was, when I figure it out, let them know. <laughs> yeah. And. So I'm just like, wait, 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 what happened to this? Like we come alongside our brother or sister when they're struggling. What, what happened to that? We have been saying this for years. Why, how is that not happening? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I felt like one of Bev's many failed projects because mm. yeah. I would see new women come into the home church and she would gravitate towards them and learn about all their trauma. And, you know, the ones who were super receptive to her fussing, you know, well, I, the other ones, like, myself and my other friend that we had lived together, you know, we got cast aside because I don't know, there was a new shiny project in town. (laughs) She, this was her, this was her time to try with them. Right. And like, she's getting nowhere with us, you know, so we we get cast off to the land of misfit toys. (laughs) Yeah. And, I mean, I, I saw it happen again and again. And, you know, we would build relationships with these people who would visit the home church and they would come around for a while, a while until they saw that they weren't getting it or they saw somebody saw that, um, you know, they weren't going to you know accept christ or you know they they decided that there was this line and they had not met 
met this expectation. So if they hadn't, it's time to ask them to go. And yeah. then, you know, we have cultivated these relationships, right? Because we come in and we love Bob, right? We're all about them. We need to know everything about their life. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're the newest thing. And oh my goodness. We just have to focus all of our energy on you. You're amazing. Oh my God. Tell me everything. Hmm. Yeah. And then you don't meet our standard. So we're hands off and pretend like you never freaking existed. Mm, yeah. It's to do that with people. Yeah. And there were, there were a few people that that had happened to in our home group that I main, maintained relationships with those people outside of them coming to home church. I didn't press Christ on them. I didn't, you know, press the church on them. I didn't, you know, I was just, I don't know, a human being. This does not happen. Does not happen. And that is an epic failure on the church's part. Because when the novelty wears off and suddenly you're, not, you're like you said, no longer the, the new boy in town, uh, suddenly, you know, the luster's off. You know, and suddenly you're you're just, mm-hmm. you're just this ordinary 150 pounds of sin in a popsicle stick. You know, you you just need to be molded yeah. in some way. You know, so yeah. Well, we tried caring about you, but you weren't receptive to it. So bye. Yeah, and that was a very common thing you saw. That that was something that you, that you saw, you know, throughout the entire oh, yeah. church. Yeah, how, how not people just treat. our home church, the entire church. Wow. So what, when you finally, what was the point, what was the break? What was it when you finally just absolutely left and uh, what, what, what happened there and, and, and how long did it take? So I had, uh, I had started to, you know, after I was told, you know, essentially when I figure it out, let them know, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was the catalyst yeah. that um, started this social experiment, I'll call it. Uh, to where, you know, I began to withdraw more and more. I wasn't going to central teachings on Sunday. Um, uh, I was, I wasn't regularly at home church. And let me tell you how difficult that was because I felt I was so indoctrinated that I felt if I wasn't at home church, I was, I was guilt ridden. Mm-hmm. I mean, and quite honestly, I saw other people guilt tripped if they weren't showing up at home church, you know, or showing up at CT or central teaching, um, Sunday service or, or sometimes Saturday. It just depends on what sphere you were in right. because the church is massive. There's like 5,000, 6,000 people. So I started this social experiment where, you know, I was withdrawing. I was going less and less. I I wasn't reaching out to people, you know, I was just seeing what was going to happen, you know, and uh, there was this one particular Monday that I went and I made sure to sit right up front, which I, by up front, I mean right next to the person who was teaching that night, 
So all eyes were on them, and therefore they were also on me, 40, 30, 40 people that are gathered. And after the teaching was over and people are dispersing, you know, to hang out, you know, fellowship, whatever, not a single person talked to me. No one came and said, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. You know, this is not how, you know, what's going on. Da, da, da. No one. Okay. Until this one woman who I didn't really have a relationship with came and sat down next to me and said, you know, I think it's really awful that people aren't coming and talking to you. And <laughs> I lost it. I lost it. I, wow. I was sobbing. Yeah. Everything in this social experiment that I had been conducting was validated in that one statement by someone who wasn't close to me at all. They knew something was that, going on and they, and they, they could see it. Yeah. They could see it. It validated, it validated yeah. it. Wow. And after I, you know, got myself together, I went and I found Bev and I told her, I'm never coming here ever again. I'm done. Okay. And, you know, she was busy with, you know, whatever project was around at that time. And, uh, maybe love bombing somebody else. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, and she's like, well, can we talk about this later? I'm like, that's fine. So, you know, we ended up having a phone conversation. Um, oh my God, I remember that clear as day too. Uh, I was my, I was at my house. I was on the back porch, um, because there were friends over and stuff and we were all, you know, having fun. And she calls me and I go out there for some privacy. And, you know, she tells me that I'm selfish, that I'm in the wrong, you know, that I, you know, I shouldn't expect people to come to me, that I should, you know, approach them, and that that's not my problem, you know, my issue is that I would put um, a man over over God and this and that and the other and I because I had told her at one time I, I was I was seeing this guy and he wasn't um he wasn't a walking Christian. He's a Christian but he wasn't a walking Christian. And she was having it was in this social experiment time and she said she said something to me and I reacted as in the aspect that I've seen this church do this with other people that you have to choose the church or an unequally yoked relationship. Hmm. And I said, I told her in a conversation, I'm like, look, if you're asking me to choose, if you ask me to choose between the church and him, I'm choosing him every time. You know, the relationships being built here just sounded so completely top heavy. I mean, it was just like, oh there's God. this, they're it's looking like, like it's a, built on quicksand. 
Yeah, it's it's still on quicksand. Right. It's like just complete blind obedience, not not blind blind allegiance that you're expected to just give a a complete and total unquestioning deference to whatever they want you to do and be. You know, and and you and I guess you just had enough of it, and and then and then finally told her you you had left. And then you know, she's like, we get to the point of where what it looks like for her and I's friendship going forward from that since I wasn't going to come back and what she told me was that all she had to offer me as far as friendship was that she would think of me and pray for me when God placed me on her heart and I thought what a load of crap I'm like well that's no friendship at all that's not that's not friendship that's not friendship at all And it it was played off like it was, you know, we don't have anything in common anymore. Well, I'm still a believer. My name is still written in the book of life. Like, I'm going to see your punk ass in heaven. You know, (laughs) excuse my, excuse my language. But, you know, like, uh, I don't know that I'm, I I don't know that I'm going to be a jewel in your crown, ma'am. That's no friendship. Right. That is no friendship. Right. You you share with us, you know, some of the emails that you wrote in your exit, and like I said, they uh, uh they just are very raw and honest, and they're very painful to read. But I I appreciate you sharing them, and I was wanting if you didn't mind me sharing a little of them here, uh, because uh, no, go ahead. Because it it seems like they're really. It really, it really, I mean, just reading through these emails just really kind of sum, summarizes everything you've, you've mentioned and just how completely control oriented these relationships really are. They're, they're, they're not ones of, of mutual care or mutual respect. It's just an absolutely, uh, uh, mechanical, uh, compulsion to just simply jump through hoops and act the way they want you to. Uh, in, in, in this one, they write this, uh, Sean, after praying about your response, which I assume was to Beverly, and discussing this with Gary and the triplets, we've decided that the five of us should get together. It is obvious that you are hurt and that you have some pretty serious charges against me and our home church. Since Xenos takes seriously the command to be diligent to preserve the unity, and ask for unresolved issues in one home church to be addressed before moving to another one, another home church, we want to meet as soon as we can. This meeting will not be four leaders rebuking you, dismissing your feelings, or demanding that you see things the way we do. <laughs> when I read that, I go, man, I guess you guys finally figured it out, huh? And then they go on to say, I think this meeting will be most beneficial for your healing if we address your charges against us. And agree on a plan where your hurt and anger will get resolved in your new group. We don't want you to be afraid of this meeting. We want to make every attempt to resolve what we can with you. And then you very directly disagreed with what sounds to me like a classically cultic governance demand here. But And you wrote this. I have carefully considered this meeting. And I don't find this a necessary part of healing. I do not agree that this would be a good thing moving forward. I find that it would be taking steps back. And, and you go on to say it took me almost six months to work and move through my hurt to be at a place of willingness to even re-engage with a home church. And, and I think it says, it says a lot when you go on to say, I do not harbor bitterness toward Beverly Gary or anyone else at home church. We're all human, fallen, and broken. 
And, and like I said in my email to you, Bev, I was most disappointed in my own self for putting my faith in humans and not God. Wow. Being blind to that was a very hard lesson to learn. It's been excruciating and went on for far too long. And thankfully, God has shown me that. Wow. And, and you know, you, you did everything you could, you know, to really, really maintain decency and order in that group. You know, you tried to be as much of a, of a, of a, you know, a, a person of, of, of moderation there. And what I'm certain was a very painful, even agonizing moment in your life. And you tried to do the right thing and it just really cost you. Now, when they say this, this expression, peace amongst men, this appears to be a reference to some principle in Xenos you're expected to live by. And that's to maintain a group conformity and order at all costs. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I, I would say that, that sounds pretty accurate. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> you know, having peace amongst men is to me, you know, not having the bitterness and harboring resentment and harboring, you know, ill feelings. Um, you know, when I went to to check out this other home church, and I, and it was close to where I lived, and um, I was familiar with the um, with the leaders of that church peripherally, and you know, it was more about my relationship and studying, and you know, my relationship with God and being in community, right? Right. And I didn't go in there, you know, I was very hesitant to tell anyone in that group what group I had previously been in. Yeah. You know, when they asked me what what brought me to their home church, I'm like, well, you know, I moved from this neighborhood over to here and, you know, I'm just, you know, checking things out. And, you know, like I did not disparage anyone i didn't talk about any of the issues that i had had um in that previous home church now i did with the leader's wife i did with the home church leader's wife um we had conversations about it and then that led to this because Mm -hmm. it is it is the church's protocol that if you're switching home churches the new home church leaders reach out to the previous home church leaders to see if there are any unresolved issues. Mm. Well, <laughs> I didn't feel that there were any unresolved issues. Yeah. So I feel that, that y'all did and how y'all do. This is my experiential evidence mm-hmm. that other people can cooperate, <laughs> resolve it by being better people. That that was the bottom line. I'm just trying to move on, and, and y'all are. And they didn't want to let go. So what you're no. saying is that when you moved, when you did try to move on, and you went to the next house church, they, they didn't want to let it go. They had to follow the, the rules. They had a mandate to go by this by this uh, this mandate to make sure they find out what what was going on. Why why did you leave? Where 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 were you at? Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's that's where they wanted you to be. They wanted you to dangle yeah. at that point. So, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. It just, it just wasn't, um, 
it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't productive. Yeah. It wasn't, it was not worth it to me to sit down with, with all five of them right. and rehash this stuff. Right. Like it just was not. And, you know, even now, like, I, I really hope that, um, that I'm not coming across as if, as if I hate Xenos, as if I hate uh-huh. people who go there, as if I hate or dislike people who are still there or who went there or, you know, who had negative experiences, had positive experiences. You know, like I said, I've had, I've had great experiences. I've also had terrible experiences. Um, would I change it? I don't know. I wouldn't be who I am today without it. You know, there, there has been many things that have caused me to be a great success in my life. Mm-hmm. That has caught, you know, affected me to have great joy. I mean, so when I was in Mount Home Church, I could easily say that I had 50 to 100 friends, you know, and there is no worse feeling, you know, I, and, and to kind of circle back, you know, you, you'd ask me what I thought about when I watched the, the interviews from the uh, people on NBC4. And like, I empathized with them. I empathized with their pain because you have everyone and then all of a sudden you have no one. It is more difficult to mourn the living than it is to mourn the dead. Because the living has a choice to still engage with you, to still be accountable for their actions. You can be accountable for your actions. But the last, I mean, it is so difficult. I, I, sad because what you've been sharing with us for the past you know, almost an hour, a little over an hour now, uh, it's just the fact that, you know, you provide for us, I mean, just a very vivid personal reminiscence that provides for us, uh, to me, perfect examples of, of the existence of, of what really can be called cultic mind control in the Xenos. I mean, I mean, the fact that, you know, you had to sit there and endure what you did uh, for the sake of the, the peace amongst men principle to make sure everything, everybody's feathers are smooth and the image of the church and the peace was all polished. You had to sit and put up with an awful lot of, of uh, a very negative and very demeaning uh, influence and, and pressure on you. And, 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 and in, in, Cultic mind control. We've been reviewing the past few weeks about about what that is, and one of the eight mark. There's eight of them that uh, Dr. Robert J. Lifton uh, posited years and years ago, which have turned out over and over again to be uh, evident in any abusive cultic uh, um, situation you can find. And one of these is what's called doctrine of a person. That's where you had to put up with whatever it is they told you to do at whatever at whatever cost you. 
And then, and then when they demand to grill you again, um, and I mean, I'm from, I don't think for a moment that you believe that they weren't, they weren't going to do that. So and what they were doing is putting through what's called, another one of the eight marks called the cult of confession. Okay. They're going to make you sit there and confess all over oh, again yeah. and, and have you yeah. go through this creative process of restating your objections so they can just as easily explode them. And then when you lose everybody, when you lose everybody, like all the connections, the family, the feel that, that you, after you just truly have to leave and suddenly you don't exist anymore. You know, mm-hmm. you're not mentioned anymore. You're not, you're not, you're not remembered anymore. And, you know, um, for, and when you were, were, were talking about how you were feeling, uh, when, uh, the luster was off of, of you, uh, being a new person and you just were no longer, you were just this, this project on the shelf. That to me is an example of another bit of cultic mind control that's called, uh, the, dis- the dispensing of existence in which the group basically decides who has the right to be considered real and relevant in a situation. And who does not? And, and they, and they do it quite, you know, uh, draconianly. Everyone is, is, is expected to not mention the name or not bring up a person who's clearly out of favor and who's meant to be forgotten and again, just lifted out of the uh, framework of existence. I mean, that right. to me is what I'm, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing in, in your life. Right. And, you know, even to the point where uh, when I was meeting with the other woman and she told me that I was having a crisis of faith, you know, that then goes, you know, she was she was one of the home church leaders. Mm-hmm. So then that goes before, you know, all the other home church leaders where they have, you know, a weekly meeting to discuss the goings on. Because right. anything right. that you are telling your discipler right, is not kept between you and your discipler. Right. It is discussed amongst the leadership because, you know, we have to shepherd the flock. And while I, <laughs> uh, while I agree with that to a certain extent, there are instances where that I've heard of, and one I know of a dear friend that was, shamed because of what their what they thought was a confidential conversation between them and their discipler you know gets shared amongst their peers so that everyone has god forbid somebody can keep their mouth shut it doesn't happen you know what soon everybody knows and and even at that, even if it's just the leadership, the people that you view in a higher esteem because of them being in a leadership position, you now feel shamed because they're as if they're looking down on you because they yeah. know all your dirty business now. Um, it, yeah. It's just and that's and that's yet another. You keep bringing this up, and you're right, you're pointing out something, another important thing. There is another mark of mind control. I mean, I mean, this is what's, this is, Xenos wants to very, wants to run from any notion that, that it can be, is considered a cult, okay? It, it, it engages in, in these extensive, uh, apologies about how it isn't a cult. You know, how, how, what cults really are. But what Lifton did in, in these eight mind control points, observations he makes is that, is that he's pointing out that if you see these, these, these sort of, uh, 
uh, criteria. If you see these social conditions in any group, anywhere, you can rest assured you're in a, in a, in a group that's, that's practicing cultic mind control. And, and what you're mentioning right now is, a, is, a, is another one. It's called a demand for purity in which the cult, in which the cult member, let's, you know, or the member, whether you want to call yourself in the cult or not, is, is you're, you're engaged in this really intense Continual inner process of self-purification from from all that everyone deems that is impure and holy, and then everyone else is held to that high standard, and 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 it's anything that the group views as irrelevant to their existence, or, or regardless whether it's truly sinful or not. The fact that you were just made to feel that way in what you just mentioned is again to me another sign of what, of what this system really is. It can call Zenos can call itself a church if it wants to. And it does, but quite frankly, I think it's something altogether completely different. Because Sean, this 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 isn't. Uh, I mean, I've been in the ministry since 1983, and I can tell you, this is not biblical Christian lifestyle or faith by any means. To me, Xenos is as pure occultism as clear as I've ever seen. I really truly believe that it, it, it truly does uh, match up to being like a classical cult, if there's any I've ever seen. You know. That has been something that has been discussed for many, many, many years. And uh, there was a period of time where if you Googled Xenos Christian Fellowship, the first five search results, you know, the first five results would come up about Xenos being a cult. And I recall, um, I recall there being discussion about how, how there had been steps, measures taken to have that gone. Um, and I don't know. To remove critical information about Xenos from the internet? Uh, I don't know how to phrase it properly. Yeah. Um, I, I. Interesting. Think that there was some sort of, from what I recall, there was some sort of transaction that either maybe ad space was bought or something. I'm sure, I mean, it would be on the books. And the books are open. Anyone can go to the main campus office and ask to see the book. So um, at some point, there was I. It was my understanding that there was a tr- transaction or transactions that occurred to have either like either ad space was bought or whatnot to where either that moved down. It altered the number of where that information would show up. You yeah. know, it might it it might not it wouldn't be in the top five yeah. things yeah. anymore. Um but you know for for many, many, many years, as I was saying, it's been discussed. Uh you know, there was that that article in the dispatch in the eighties about Xenos being a cult. There's been, I mean, countless neighborhood discussions in in the uh, campus area, the Clintonville area, you know, the home churches meet on their street and take up all the parking and, 
about Xenos being a cult. My personal viewpoint is that, and I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but they, I wouldn't say that Xenos is a cult. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that they have quite a bit of cult-like tendencies. Right. Um, does that make them a cult? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I mm-hmm. That's not my expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, well, none well, of these things, <clears throat> none of these things are actually required. Um, do, are you emotionally manipulated? You betcha. Mm-hmm. You betcha. Right. Well, I, I, I really, you know, regardless what Xenos seems to be to anyone, you know, clearly in your experience and, and I know for sure in so many others, clearly it is not provided uh, the kind of, uh, of of life-giving and affirming uh, haven that people should uh, expect out of out of a, a Christian church. As, and as a minister, I, I can say that quite quite uh, unmistakably. You know, and it's it's just tragic for me to have to hear and see the things that I do because I don't go looking for this stuff. Okay, Shauna, I don't go looking yeah. for it. I have enough on my own plate here back in our headquarters here in Hammond and, and other places than to be, you know, looking around other other places. But when I'm when I'm contacted by victims of, of abuses that are that are completely dominated by the structure of Xenos, then you, you have to have to and you have to say, well, if you're smelling smoke, there's a gotta be fire somewhere. So and regardless, I'm, I'm truly sorry for all that, that was done to you and so many others in the name of Christ. And, and my heart really has been heavy as I've, as I've shared with you and talked to you and, and so many others. And, and I, I just want to really tell you, I, I really will be you know, lifting you guys up in prayer and, and hoping the best for you as well. And, and so, uh, in closing, what, what's your life been like for you since you left? And, is there is there a last thing you'd like to say to anyone from Xenos that's listening that you may want to uh, yeah. share with? Um, well, I I relocated from gloomy the gloomy Midwest to sunny Florida, and um, you know I'm still my name's still written in the book of life. Uh, that's good. Uh, I I. Still am a Christian. I still believe in Jesus that He died for my sins and that He is, um, He is my Savior. That the blood on the cross that He shed paid for my sins, past, present, and future. Um, I try to wake up and be a better person that day than I was the day before. Um, I, oh man, I am so critical with churches. Um, so critical. And, um, I mean, I thought I was hesitant before when I checked out Slack. I'm way more critical now, uh, mm. with it. And, but at the same time, you know, I, I, the church is not a building. You know, where, where three are gathered in Christ's name, there he is, right? Uh, so, 
as far as my my spirituality my my spiritual walk you know i i think that you know i'm i'm in a good place um i have you know worked really hard to forgive um forgive a lot of things that that were done um mm-hmm. You know, I've had to really, uh, evaluate, you know, what my part was in those things as well and, um, take that into consideration and, you know, uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to renew me in those areas, you know, right. transform me. And, um, you know, I'm I'm still friends with with a handful of people that uh, still go to Venus slash dwell. Um, a name change does not change the core of the planet. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah. Um, I've had several friends who have left the church after I did. Anything you'd like to say in closing to anyone that might be listening from Xenos? Yeah. Um, I would, I would just ask that you have an open heart to hear to hear someone who like myself who is no longer there um to hear them out you know to really truly reflect on on things and um there's no denying the fact that with many people having similar experiences that these things have gone on these things continue to go on and you know again we're all just fallen broken people limping and lurching through life we all make mistakes we all make our choices and have to be accountable for them and you know i think what the masses that are coming forward want and 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 I can't speak for them, but I think what would be a good start would be just for the church to have some accountability. Mm-hmm. They, the, the elders, the board, the whatever, doesn't have to have specific examples in order to be able to acknowledge that this has been the impact and they're sorry for that and they're they will work to figure it out yeah right well we can certainly hope and pray that uh the powers that be in xenos uh will certainly come off of their ivory thrones and understand that uh they're uh their 
belief in being just, just these, the, the, the pinnacle of, of, uh, ecclesiastical perfection and radical Christian living, uh, just is, is kind of hollow at this point. The theology can be as straight edged as it is. And yet, if you're not doing the very thing Jesus says in, in, in loving God and loving men and your neighbors as, as, as much as you love God and others, if you can't love your neighbor, you can't forgive. If you can't do the kind of things and treat people as, as brothers and sisters and instead of treating them like, like, uh, like property or, or commodity to be, to be, uh, marketed over or, or processed. If you can't love people, then I don't care how well your theology is. Uh, it, it doesn't mean a thing. I mean, first, the first Corinthians 13 says, if I have, if I have, I have all these things and have not love, I am nothing. To me, that's where the bottom dollar is. And, and Sean, I really want to appreciate your, your, your that, that, uh, that admonition. It certainly does need to be heard. And I appreciate your time with us, uh, this evening. Thank you so much for, for coming by and providing us, uh, such great insight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's been, it's been a definite education. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going? prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.